You're listening to Lost Souls Monologues. Today's monologue is Sex with Your Ex by Judy Class. For those of you with younger listeners, please be aware that it contains some adult themes, a little swearing, and sexual references. this song, I felt I had written the perfect country song. Simple, spare, and and from the heart, like Patsy Cline's song Crazy, which of course was written by a very young Willie Nelson. Then I came to Nashville, and I found out what's wrong with this song. All the reasons it will never get cut. Number one, it's not up-tempo, positive country, and that's what Nashville wants now. Most country stars want to be glamorous. They don't want to be seen as doormats or victims, especially the women. They don't want to sing a song about being in an unhealthy relationship or loving somebody who doesn't love them back. If Hank Williams came to Nashville now, he'd be run out of town and it wouldn't just be for his drinking. It would be for writing songs like Your Cheating Heart and Cold Cold Heart and You Win Again and I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. He may have invented modern country music, but the ground rules have changed and they don't like that kind of pain in a song now. So, that's reason number one. Number two, my song has an A-A-B-A structure, verse-verse-bridge-verse, like Patsy Cline's song Crazy, and that's a big no-no. What a song should have now is a power chorus. You need a chorus that starts on a different chord than the verse that that maybe goes up high and holds a note and contrast. If the verses are slow, then have a chorus that goes syncopated. Um, uh, Lots of words, 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 almost hip hop, rapid fire. And my song does not have any kind of chorus. Just a line that repeats at the end of each verse, like any AABA song. Now, are there still hits here in Nashville with that structure? Sure there are. Cole Swindle's Break Up in the End, or, or, or going back a ways, Tim McGraw's Real Good Man. But it, it wasn't written by somebody who just hit town like me. It was written by Rivers Rutherford and George Turenne. A new writer, like me, has to follow the trendy rules and blow the roof off with a power chorus and has to do what veterans do at their most commercial. Only more so. But after verse one of my song, Sex with Your Ex, I just launch into verse two. The third thing wrong with my song, obviously, is it mentions sex. Directly. And country radio won't play that. Sure, you can spell out S-E-X in a country song, or you can say, she thinks my tractor is sexy. You can write about loving up on somebody and laying somebody down and hillbillies loving in the hay and God knows what all, but you can't say sex outright. See, I hadn't been listening to country radio for a bunch of years when I wrote this song, 
I listened, back in high school, and I wrote songs then and played out, but Duane hates country radio. He can give you all kinds of reasons for what's wrong with it, and some I agree with. It's funny, he sometimes said I was a snob reading books and watching public television and all, but I think he was a snob about hillbilly music. He once gave me hell and laughed in my face for talking about the subtext of a country song. You know, what it was saying, indirectly. Subtext? In country, he said. Subtext my ass. Duane is into really angry, loud, thrash metal music and rap. I don't like songs where the guys swagger and yell. I like melody. And a quiet, well-crafted lyric. Anyhow, I just de-emphasized music when I was with Duane. It, it was good. For a couple of years. It, just sweet to have somebody to come home to and say, Hi, honey, I'm home. I've written a song about that. Duane wasn't into big, long conversations, but he was fun to hang with. Relaxing, watching a movie together... He wasn't always about watching sports with his friends. He liked to spend quiet time with me, and the sex was great. And we knew each other since, like, 10th grade, and we had all these in-jokes and ways of teasing each other. It kind of a private language. It was good. And this quiet, solid way you hope a marriage will be. Oh, yeah. That's another problem. With the bridge. Or with the whole song, people tell me they don't know whether to laugh or cry when they hear sex with your ex. And I say, exactly. But Brett, the guy who produces and engineers my demos in Nashville, Brett says I can't do that. He says a country song is either ha-ha funny or it's sad, and you can't mix up the two things. And that's a shame. Dwayne and I could still laugh sometimes when it was getting painful and going south between us and... That's the thing. Those first two years were easy. He was down at the garage all day. I had my office job. I was glad to cook for him when he got home and sort his socks, all of that. I was so looking forward to having a couple of kids, doing normal stuff. And then when I got pregnant, he got so scared. It just freaked him out. I felt this wall go up between us. He'd say something nasty and roll over and go to sleep, and then I couldn't sleep all night lying beside him. I think controlling me, putting me down, made him feel he had control at a time when there was no control, but I was always walking on eggshells around him, trying to get back to the place where we were close. It wasn't so good for my health. And when I lost the baby in the third month, it was just cramps and pain and blood. It was a nightmare. And he wasn't there for me. He got mad at me, he blamed me, and even made a crack after a few days about how I hadn't been eating right and I was working out too much, and I wasn't. I was so careful. I wanted the baby so bad. I, I couldn't help the miscarriage. It wasn't my fault. I went to stay with my folks for a few days, and when I came back, 
he could see in my eyes, I was the one with the wall up. And he tried to be nice. He tried to be loving and gentle, but it was too late, or I was too mad after the fact when it didn't do any good. The respect and trust were gone. I started treating him the way he treated me when I was pregnant. The same snotty tone of voice, the same disgusted way of looking at him, nasty little remarks. I was so depressed and crying all the time, and I ripped us apart. I, I couldn't help it. The lease was in his name. When he told me to move out, I, I felt like I deserved it. My family was mad at me for breaking us up. I took a room in Mrs. Monroe's house, only she didn't tell me. Her son in the room downstairs had a tack, so would mutter and laugh and cry all night long and would shout threats and obscenities at me when he drank because the alcohol would kill the effects of his medication. She didn't tell me he had those problems and that's why the rent was so low. And I lived there. I lived there and went to my job every day like a zombie. And sometimes I'd go to see Dwayne. He was mad at me, I think, for moving out, even though he was the one who told me to do it. He said we had to file for divorce now in this defiant way. When Dwayne screws up, he can't admit it. He's all like, yeah, I meant that shit. That wasn't a mistake. I meant to do that. So it was weird when I'd go by to see Bruno, our dog, or, or get something or whatever. Sometimes it was nice. We'd just play and be silly like always, and I was sure we'd get back together soon, but... He started hanging out at the bar and grill, and when Karen put the moves on him, he got drunk and took her home, and, and that was so painful for me, because he wasn't a guy to cheat before. Because he had this puzzled look when he talked to me, like, like he wasn't sure how all this happened. Because we still had our private jokes and our private language, and we would play with the dog together. The dog was so happy when I'd come back. And we had our history together, going back to high school. All kinds of connections on different levels, and him and Karen were just two barflies screwing around. I... He wasn't sure how things got that way, but still, hey, I meant to do that. And that's when I asked him to try to knock me up. I said... If I get pregnant, I'll raise the baby and you can be involved or not, as much as you like. I guess I hoped having a baby would bring us back together, or just sleeping together. And it was good. Like it had always been, all the emotions he can't express other ways, he expresses in bed, and he's a thoughtful, generous lover. And we know each other so well. And then he could just switch all that off and... Go off and be with his fuck-buddy Karen, his friend with benefits. But I kept going back. I could not move on. And then we found out the divorce was finalized months before we thought it would be, and again, Dwayne got mad. He blamed me. He started in with the games. I'd buy an expensive fertility test kit from the drugstore, and I'd wait all month, and when the kit told me I was fertile, I'd call him... And he'd tell me he wasn't in the mood. He didn't want to deal with my drama if things went wrong. Or he'd tell me to sleep over in our bed, in our home, and we'd have sex in the morning. And I'd stay, praying I'd still be fertile in the morning. And then, in the morning, he wouldn't feel like it. 
Some months he'd do it with me, but I was such a nervous wreck, wondering if he'd stand me up again, worrying, planning how to coax him, how to handle him. I, I don't know if I was ovulating even. I didn't get pregnant. And still he was with Karen, and I thought... I didn't imagine I'd ever let myself be in a situation like that. Once we were divorced, did that mean that suddenly I was the other woman and he was cheating on her with me? I didn't know anymore. When I got made office manager, that really threatened him because he was still down at the garage and he got nastier. And I just... I finally stopped seeing him for five months. I didn't use the new money for my promotion to get out of Mrs. Monroe's house. I saved it. I started having my songs demoed in Nashville. I'd read you could get a good demo there cheap, and I found a place. Brett's actually good. He's got great studio musicians. I could finally hear my songs sung and played right by Nashville professionals. Rocking songs, guy vocalist songs, I, I could really hear them. It was just the old songs I wrote in high school at first, then I started writing again. It was like I came out of a coma. I got my old guitar from my parents' house, and when I had five good demos, I went to Nashville for the first time. I went to a songwriting seminar, and I found a couple of publishers on Music Row who let me pitch to them, and... Oh, Music Row is the most beautiful place in the world. When I walk around there and see all those buildings, the different publishers and record companies and ASCAP and BMI and banners congratulating songwriters on their hit singles, my heart gets lifted up. I feel happy again. Finally, a, a kind of happiness that I felt those first two years with Duane, and it just makes sense that when your life turns into a country song, hell, you gotta head to Nashville. I mean, it took me a couple more years to move there. At first, Duane was sarcastic about my trips to Nashville, but when he saw I was moving for real, he took me out to dinner. He was kind of classy about it. For a moment, I thought, he's gonna ask me to stay. He's gonna give up Karen. But he'd gotten my hopes up about that before. He is where he is, and we can't go back. We didn't have sex, but we had a nice time that night. A nice goodbye. I'm a waitress now. And even on a busy night with lots of tips, I don't make what I made as office manager. But I'm a songwriter. And I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I've got a little apartment in East Nashville, and there's no crazy guy downstairs threatening me, and I don't have to walk down the streets of my hometown where Duane has splashed every tree and building with pain. I feel like I've escaped, and they'll never find me here. And I'll never be stupid enough to fall back into bed with Duane. I'll stay far away. I've got five single-song contracts now, with publishers on Music Row, and that makes me feel legit. Nobody's cut my songs, and no publishers offered me a writer's deal. Nobody's ever going to offer me an artist deal that much, I know. The labels want to sign 18-year-olds who look like Barbie, and that ain't me. 
But Nashville values songwriters, not just singers. If you look at the end of a country video, it will tell you who wrote the song. Since I've been here, I've been going to the Bluebird Cafe to hear great songwriters in the round. I've heard Darrell Scott, who wrote It's a Great Day to Be Alive and Long Time Gone. I've heard Rivers Rutherford, who's from Memphis, and injects some dull blues into the usual Nashville vanilla stuff, who wrote Real Good Man and Ain't Nothing About You and If You Ever Stop Loving Me. I've heard Gretchen Peters, who wrote Independence Day, and Alan Shamblin, who wrote Bonnie Raitt's I Can't Make You Love Me, and there's nothing like sitting there, watching these salty veterans in the round, teasing each other, making fun of each other, and playing on each other's songs and harmonizing on the choruses. You feel how much they love and respect each other because they're the chosen few. Some of them don't look like much and can't sing good. But once you hear them do their own song, a song only they understand, it changes that song for you. It's so much better and deeper. It can be more understated the way they do it, and, and less can be more. That's what I want to be. One of those guys. Maybe I can't give birth to a kid, but I can give birth to some good songs. Let some little model type, somebody off of Idol or The Voice, become famous with them. I'll get the money. And then people in Nashville will come see me at the Bluebird. And they'll know the songs are mine. That's all I need. I'm learning how to write the kind of songs Nashville wants, with the power chorus and the upbeat message and the girl who's a hot mess and somebody riding shotgun in a Chevy truck. But when I play out and little writer's rounds full of new people like me. And that's important to do. You can meet people to co-write with, and Nashville wants co-writing. When I play out, I still play this song. I don't pitch it to other people. This is my song. Well, it's worse than a curse and it's as sweet as a sigh And some things never change As time goes by You know all the things he'll do And you know what he expects From you, you just forgot it felt this good Having sex with your ex now you read in a magazine That it's a bad idea And you guess you know what they mean So how come you're here? Well, life ain't no article Life's a bit more complex You're sad but your heart is full Having sex with your ex Like a favorite rocking chair You always knew that it would still be there Like heading back to the original sin Meeting up with your evil twin There's no need to pretend Cause it's all understood what he didn't feel way back when 
Sex with Your Ex was written by Judy Glass, directed by Caitlin Ince, and performed by Hannah Genasius, with guitar work by Phil Adele. If you enjoyed today's Lost Souls monologue, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.